Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Oh, so I want to talk to you for just a second on the podcast. This is, yeah. um, um, can I show you this? I, I want a title. So I want to have a conversation with you. I want to ask you a question. Yes. What is your favorite holiday? Uh, I can't remember. You is can't it, remember? Can you describe it? Don't touch that. They're so soft. The microphone is so soft, but hey, do me a favor. <laughs> Don't touch it because it's so delicate. But you know what? You can talk into it and you can say, Koa, please listen to my words. Okay. You were saying earlier today that you love Halloween. Is that true? Yes. Why do you love Halloween? Because I don't know. Because I don't love everything. I love you. That's why I love Halloween. You don't love other things you do with me? You just love Halloween? Yes. Koa. Can you tell me what are you going to dress up as for Halloween? Let me think. Do we have a ghost costume? Do we have a ghost costume? I can make you one. Do you want to be a ghost? Um, what else, could, what else cool. could you dress up as? Uh, just a ghost. Just a ghost? Okay, since this is a scary show that Carrie and I make, do you yeah. want to talk about something scary? Yeah. What? Uh, I think I the I I there on top of my tab so I want to see that. You dreamed there was a T Rex on top of your crib? Yeah. Can you say that? I just said it. T Rex. A T Rex. And what sound did the T Rex make? Uh, I see what it at and then I'm so so bad. It's almost not the roof down. Yes. My phone's back, dear readers. Um, no. Wow. The phone is back. The phone is back. And we... Oh, dads are the best. Oh, Bye, Koala. Thanks for being our guest. He's a hard get. Have fun, you guys. See ya. Thank you. Dear readers, you're tuning in next week. We left you off with a fucking cliffhanger. We're here to report. Back.
Quinlan Posner has her phone back. My phone is back How in do my you custody. Feel? Um, I feel a little sad to pay a thief a hundred dollars uh, oh, to reward that behavior. To see what Matt says, like what his vibe was. If Matt, Matt's, I love Matt's heart. I said it last week. I'll say it. I said it once. I'll say it before. I love Matt's heart. I think um, it's a shame to have to give someone a hundred dollars that did something they shouldn't have done. People should just return your shit. Like. Honestly, like, that leaves a really bad taste in my mouth. I'm really happy to have the phone back because there were pictures that I just didn't back up, but now I have them, and now I feel like I love them even more. And I didn't want a new phone. I'm not fancy. I have an iPhone 6 forever. Quinn exclusively gets iPhone 6s. She refuses. (laughs) She refuses any iPhone that's not a 6. Um, yeah, I know what I like, okay? It is funny that Matt has, like, this everyone is good in the world vibe and I have everyone is taking advantage of you. Can I tell you something that happened a few weeks ago? 100%. He was on or the don't phone. don't actually. No. Oh, pass. Pass. Hard pass. He was on the phone with Delta mm-hmm. and he had to uh, call to change something about our tickets when back when we were going to Colorado. Colorado. And he's on the phone with them. Weirdly, they picked up right away. He's on the phone with them trying to change this flight. And he's having this conversation that I can only hear half of. And what I'm sort of the bits that I'm getting seem a little weird to me. It's things like, yes, we can change your flight. Do you have a Delta Sky Miles card or whatever it is? It's like, no, we don't. Okay, this is a promo that is only for Delta uh, card holders. Okay. That would be the way we would be able to change your ticket. Otherwise, it's going to cost all this extra money. So if you're not that, well, let me talk to my manager. And they, they keep kind of leaving him and coming back and, okay, well, we found a loophole. We're doing this promo right now for Google Play. If you Do you guys have a Google Play card? No. Oh, well, I mean, I guess you could go buy one. And then that would enable me to book you these miles at even a lower price than you were going to. Anyway, I'm not on the phone, but I'm hearing this conversation kind of from Matt's perspective. And then he goes and puts on his shoes. And I said, where are you going? He said, they want me to go buy a Google Play card. Like for $10? Like you- No, for like the amount, like, I don't know, 400 500 whatever the tickets were. And read them the Google card number over the phone to pay for it. And I said, this isn't right. So I get on the computer and I just write like Google Play Delta f- fraud, you know? Yeah. And stuff comes up right away. And he keeps saying, but Quinn, I called them. This isn't a weird <gasps> fishy call. I called them. And I'm like, how did you call them? And he did this thing where if you Google Delta and you don't call the big number that comes up, but you click on a website, there are kind of, I don't know what they're called. It's a website that looks like Delta, but isn't. It's fake. Matt was And it has a fake number. And Matt called it. Matt called the fraudsters. And then they were like, (laughs) just go buy this uh, gift card and read us the gift card number. Over the phone, which then they obviously would like use it to purchase something immediately. Or the fact is, like, thank God you didn't have a Delta Sky Miles because otherwise they would have taken your credit card. 
Right. If you well, if you had called and they were like, what's I your think, credit card number? <laughs> see, to me, I think they're banking on you not having that. They want the Google Play. I think that's the end game. Wow. I think they're looking for, cl- but it's also Google Play. What a fl- what a weird, very random, very random. They um, really love the Google apps. They love their Android apps. Yeah, I mean, it was just really. Um, they really took him for a ride, though. Like he was, he was putting on shoes to go do this thing, oh, and I was like, no way. You guys, you and he's somebody that when he gets like a fraud, a uh, snail mail fraud, mm-hmm. you know, one of those fake checks or something. Yeah, he's always like, but sh- but should I throw it away? Like it's like it's hard for him. Well, wasn't there a story about a guy that cashed a fraud check and it actually went through? No, is there? There is. Oh, I'll have to do it in a teeny oh tiny. Oh my god! Please I have so don't many tell Matt that story. I have a teeny tiny creepily like locked and loaded for the next time we do it. Oh, good, because we're going to do one soon. Yeah. If you guys don't know what a teeny tiny creeply is, if you're a Patreon subscriber, you get one a month, and they're arguably our best episodes. Yeah, no you pressure. Say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a different intro to them. It's a, a different a intro, a different energy, a different mm-hmm. everything. You get more compliments, for sure, in that one. They are they're, also scratch and sniff We pray. Yeah, yeah, they're pod smells. Yeah. They're smell casts. They're 4D. Their pod smells smellcast. I think smellcast is better. Yeah, More that sounds really enticing. <laughs> smellcast. All of casts are smelly, notoriously. Oh, true. Just saying. So it was like a little pun there. That I you had did. a uh, I had a cast in going into sixth grade because I fractured my arm by popping a wheelie. No big deal. My parents weren't there, and I didn't know you could like pull your parents. Like I was sixth grade, so I was what like eleven. Sounds my mom right. was at work. My dad was on the golf course. And I didn't know you could pull your parents out of the meetings or off the golf course. Like, those were things I didn't understand. So I, <laughs> it was on my sweet teal Nikita bike. And I rode, and there was a crack right in front of my house. And I fucking went for the papa wheelie. And, of course, I, like, ate shit on my arm. I was like, this arm really hurts. And I went over to my next-door neighbor. I was going over down the block to my friend Meredith's house Obviously, I called her and I was like, I won't be making it. I think I got hurt. And then I went to my next door neighbor's house, who's my age, and her family was gone. But I remember knocking on the window and she was asleep. And she later told me that she heard me. She just didn't want to answer. She didn't want to get up yet. So I went home and I started calling. (laughs) This is a story. I started calling my mom's office and, and then the golf course. And I thought I was being chill about it and, like, waiting a couple minutes or, like, waiting a half an hour. Let's say, like, every half hour I called. Finally, my mom's secretary was like, do you want me to get your mom? (laughs) And I was like, no, it's okay. And so the secretary didn't believe me. Don't believe women. And went to my mom's meeting. (laughs) Hashtag don't (laughs) believe women. (laughs) Went to my mom's meeting. And was like, hey, like, Carrie keeps calling, like, something I think might be wrong. And so my mom got out. And as soon as she saw it, she's like, oh, yeah, you broke your fucking arm. Oh, Carrie, baby. <laughs> it was so, I remember my the big morning was I got the cast and I had a birthday party I wanted to go to that night. And my grandma's like, you can't go to the party, Carrie. You can't go. And I was like, mom, grandma says I can't go to the party. And my mom goes, tell her you can fucking go to the party. And so I called my mom, I called my grandma back. And my grandma's like, what did your mom say? And I said, are you sure you want me to tell you? And she was like, yeah, I am. And I said, she told me I can go to the fucking party. <laughs> 10 years old. 
Anyway, it was a waterproof cast, but my mom still wouldn't let me swim in it because she's like, it's going to smell, so don't do it. That's, That's my story. Your mom was right. That, by the way, was a long story, but isn't that a fun story? <laughs> also, <laughs> I get to go primero. That's first in Spanish if you have any questions. <laughs> if you were wondering, what did we, is there anything else we need to cover? Quinn got her phone back. Co is really cute. Anyway, okay. I'm doing a story. If you remember from last week, I did a story of dun 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 Lori Dan. And she was based in Winneka. And I'm going to tell another story that is also based in the beautiful affluent town of. Winneka, Illinois. So the last story we told took place in 1988. This happens two years later in the same beautiful affluent town of Winneka. Um, so it's 1990. It's the night before Palm Sunday. And this really beautiful, I believe they're Catholic. I figure because they're talking about Palm Sunday. This really beautiful couple of... Nancy and Richard Langert, they just go out with their family. They're celebrating a couple things. Nancy's pregnant. She's like six months pregnant. The family's really close. She has her sisters, Jennifer and Jean. So they go out, they celebrate. And when they go home, somebody is there. Someone has broken into their house. And when they arrive, Richard is handcuffed and he's shot execution style in his head. What? And Nancy is shot three times in the upper body. The next day, the night before Palm Sunday, they don't go to church. The family's worried. At 4 p.m., Nancy's father goes to their, where they're living. So it's their family's townhouse. They were staying there before they were going to move. Their father comes at 4 p.m., and he sees his daughter and his son-in-law, their lifeless bodies in the basement. Next to Richard... They see that Nancy had seen she was shot, and she dragged herself over to Richard, and in her own blood, she drew a heart into you. Love you. Oh, how morbid and also so sweet. Awful. Just fucking awful. So this is a pretty crazy killing, right? I mean, they have no enemies. There's But wait, were they robbed? No. So just killed? Just killed. And it looks like a home invasion? It was a home invasion. So somebody just broke in to kill them? Just broke in to kill them. It's like the There strangers. was like $500 like strewn about. There was like, there was handcuffs. They found a glove in the back, um, but nothing was taken. And if you remember last week, I mentioned Patty McConnell, who was the first detective on the scene of the crime in the school shooting that I did last week. Patty McConnell is one of the detectives, along with Jean Calvatus. So they start investigating what's going on. They interview family. They interview, they wonder if there was any infidelity. Like, they're just trying to do everything to find out what the fuck happened. It looks professional. Behind the house, there's a bike trail that goes apparently all the way to Chicago. So, like, anyone can go up and down, no problem. The Chicago press gets wind of it because, again, it's a very affluent neighborhood and it's just a random killing. So, of course, press is trying to figure out, like, who did what. So there's a couple theories that happen. One is that Nancy's sister, Jean Bishop, she works in human rights. And at the time, she had just gotten back from Ireland. So people were like, oh, it's for sure the IRA. 
What? Okay, it's the Irish Republican Army. They thought so. Her their sister just got back, and I don't know if you if you're familiar with like Ireland's Republic, the IRA. No. Oh, in the '90s, there was a lot of. I'm going to be speaking totally from what I know from Dairy Girls, which is a great show on Netflix. You should absolutely watch it. But there were a lot of bombings. What was happening is Ireland split with the UK, right? So there's parts of Ireland that are not a part of the UK. Got it. But there's a divide in the middle of Ireland. And so there were like, you know, it was, there was definitely a problem. I I don't know if it was a war, a proper war, but there was like a lot of discord and a lot of violence. So immediately they were like, oh, her older sister has some relation to human rights. It's for sure the IRA. This happens. They also are like, maybe it's drug related, mafia related, who the fuck knows, but they're getting nowhere. Right. That fall, a high school student comes in and is like, I know who killed them. What? And they're what do like, you mean? A high school student? A high school student comes in and is like, my friend has been dra- bragging about killing them. Holy shit. I think it's him. So I'm going to talk to you about this kid. Boy, your friend is dumb. David Biro. David Biro, who was Adam's friend's Sandy's AP bio partner. So you guys, that's like three degrees separation from me. What is me. it? It's like it's like the um me to Adam to Adam's friend Sandy to David. Was his friend Sandy's AP Bio lab partner? It's practically like they're like David and I are friends, basically. Except I would never be friends with David. I wouldn't even. No offense, Sandy. I wouldn't even be lab partners with him. <laughs> I there, think that was assigned. It. She was, it was assigned. It was assigned. Come on, I'm kidding, Sandy. You know I'm kidding. So, David Biro was. A 16-year-old junior at the time of the deaths, he went to New Trier High School. He was from a well-off family. He was gangly, tall, pale, kind of a loner. He had a tattoo of a cross on his arm. Original. Mm-hmm. I guess it wasn't very well done. But are crosses on the arms ever well done? The only cross on an arm I like is Chris Maloney, Detective Elliot Stabler. From Lawner SVU. He's got a full fucking crucifix on his arm. I don't love that, but on him, I'll look past it. Um, He is, at the time around the deaths, he is running for senior class president. And at one point during his speech, he fell to his knees and he said, who do I have to blow around here to be president? What? He was a weirdo. He apparently, this is a rumor, I don't know if it's substantiated, but he had apparently part of his like campaign to be senior class vice president or senior class president was David Biro, colon, America's Most Wanted. He was super arrogant, super fucking cocky. He was Ugh. on the cross country team. And what had happened was is every time he ran past the house after the murders, he would tell his friend, you know, I did that. And all of his friends were like, he's joking. He's like, no, I shot them. So every time he would go around, he's like, this is like his friends were like, ha, 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 funny story. Because, again, they passed the house when they were running for well, cross country. Well, and when country. somebody's so up. Forthcoming that way. There's no way you think they're telling you the truth. Exactly. So when this kid goes in and is like, I think my friend killed it, the woman who interviewed him was like, okay, sure, fuck yeah. And he was like, well, yeah, my friend got really nervous and he like popped off around or something like that. 
And the woman was like, holy shit, he's right. Because they didn't reveal that to the press, that there was a round before they shot the couple. I'm a little confused. Yeah. So he got so nervous. He got nervous and shot off around. Shot off around, not at someone, and they did not tell people. The press did not know that got there it. was a round that was rando shot, shot. Mm-hmm, before the victims were shot. Oh, and that's why you got to keep it secrets from the press. That's why you so got to keep you know. secrets, secrets, secrets. Got it. So this guy, like, similar, like he's got a fucking history. Like, you know, you probably would expect this didn't come out of nowhere. At 14, he was checked into a psychiatric hospital in his town because he tried to poison his family with wood alcohol and milk. What? Mm -hmm. So he was checked into the psychiatric ward, which is where he got the cross tattoo. And he was home after two months. No sooner than, like, no less than two his months. His family? hmm He tried to kill his family. He tried there... to poison his family. What's funny is, is now that I'm reading this now after telling this story last week, the milk, poison in the milk, was what Lori Dan did. The poison in the milk when he was 14. So this was two years prior. So this is around the time that Lori Dan, when Lori Dan killed and, you know, went on a shooting rampage and fed the kids she babysat milk, poison milk, he fed his family poison milk. He poisons his family. He goes to the psychiatric ward. He's there for less than two months. His family brings him back. There's with no follow-up psych evals. So, like, he doesn't go back to any sort of treatment or anything. He does this crazy thing. He's, uh, he's admitted. That's it. And when he left, even the assessment was like, the hospital thinks he's a danger to himself and others. What? So he's kind of like a fucking, I don't want to say a sociopath, but there was some communication of him being a fucking sociopath. What they, what the theory is, is that this kid wanted to commit, quote, the perfect fucking crime. And, and he sort of did it. If he didn't brag about it to all his friends, they would have never known it was him. Why do people say that the perfect crime? Like that, all that is meant to mean is commit a crime and not get caught. Yes. So is he hoping that it's perfect in its randomness? Yeah. So the whole reason to do it was to do it. There's no reason. There is a connection between his family and their family, right? The bishop. So, like, his dad worked for, like, Nancy's mother's dad or something. Like, there was a relation. In fact, their family got a Christmas card from the bureaus every Christmas, so, like, but again, it's like, do you get holiday cards? No. You don't? I don't oh. get, I don't give. Oh, my family. Well, did your family? Yeah. Yeah, so, like, it was my favorite thing in the growing up was, like, coming home, starting at the end of Thanksgiving, and, like, opening it up. And I remember being, like, people who don't put a photo of their family are trash. Like, I loved seeing full <laughs> pictures of the family. Like, I thought it was so fun to be like, yeah, who's in this family? What do they look like? Like... Of course, now the notes are probably more meaningful, but, like, as a kid, I was like, I want fucking pictures. I want to know what is happening. Don't worry, guys. My mom has already shot our Christmas card photo. Maybe you can get your hands on one if you're lucky. For this year? You guys did one? Wow. We do one every year, Quinn. That's spectacular. Wait, actually, I can't post it because I don't think my siblings would. My mom for could block out their faces. For two years in a row, my mom bought us all matching pajamas. I'm sorry, three years in a row. That's one commitment, was all Kathy. Girls. Anywho, 
what they find in his... So David Bureau, they get this information. They arrest him immediately for the murder of Nancy, Robert, and their unborn child. Yes, he's going to get charged for murder of the six-month fetus. And you know what? Fucking should be. In his bedroom, they find a stolen pistol that he fucking stole, I think, from his lawyer or something. But he stole a gun. He stole a gun from his lawyer? Or, like, where did he steal it? I don't know where he stole it. But you know what? He fucking stole the gun. They found handcuffs. And in his house, they even found a scrapbook of articles on the killings. So he had been, like, following it and taking shit out. He was arrested in the fall of 1990. He was charged with two counts of first-degree murder and intentional homicide of the unborn baby, burglary, and home invasion. And you know what he did? Guess. He pled? Not Not guilty. guilty. Yeah. He's like, it wasn't me. I think it was somebody else. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Clearly, he wasn't that convincing because after a two-week trial, it took the jury two hours of deliberation, and they found him guilty on all charges. Wow. They were like, no, it was you. All charges. Convicted of the double murder and the intentional homicide of the unborn baby. At this time, there was a mandatory sentence. There was a mandatory life sentence for juveniles convicted as adults. So he got two mandatory life sentence and then the judge was like i'm going to give you a discretionary life sentence for the intentional homicide of the of the unborn child which that will come into play later so nancy had two sisters and i watched oh i should tell you where i got all this information i got it from cbs news there was a cbs thing called 48 hours and there's an episode called road to redemption which talks about this people gotta love people um chicago tribune so the 48 Hours episode talks a lot about the families, Nancy's family's relationship to this incident, to this, to the death of their sister. Je- Jean and Jennifer are siblings. What's really crazy is they start communicating with David Biro while he's in jail. First is Jennifer. Jennifer has this moment where she's like, I need to, I need to like forgive him. I can't keep holding on to this. So she reaches out to him and she's like, I'm willing to forgive you if you just admit that it was you. Because at this point he had been maintaining his innocence. And he wrote back and he's like, it wasn't me, but I'm happy to be your pen pal. And Jennifer was like, fuck you, I'm done. Jean then had this moment where she was like, I need to forgive him independent of what he's going to say. So she writes him and she's like, I just want to let you know I forgive you. And he writes back an 18-page letter that he finally admits that he killed. Wow, I'm so surprised that's what prompted that. It's wild. So Jean and, Jean and Jennifer have, have taken different paths in the aftermath of their sister's deaths, both of which are valid, both of which are understandable. Jennifer doesn't want anything to do with him. She wants him to stay in prison. Jean, after, like, not saying his name ever, she now visits him once a month in prison and speaks with him and tells him stories of her sister because that, in a way, is healing for her. And she wants him to understand the magnitude of what he did. But she also believes in second chances. In fact, Jean became a public defender because one of the things that was fascinating was... Before they knew it was this kid, this 16-year-old, when they thought it was somebody who tried to kill her, it was the IRA, right? But when they thought it was because she was the connection to the IRA, 
the press like focused on her and was like, she's not being cooperative. It's her, it's her. And so she felt victimized by the press and by the police and how it wasn't fair and how she felt out of control. So she channeled that energy into becoming a public defender, which is an interesting path to take after your sibling is murdered. She visits him every other month. She's Both of them are very are faith-filled women, proud of their faith. 25 years after he's put away, the Supreme Court thought that the mandatory life sentence for a juvenile tried as an adult was considered cruel and unusual, mm. so they struck it down. So he, in 2015, was offered, like, there was a possibility that he could have gotten out or his sentence commuted. So Gene and Jennifer obviously feel different ways. Right. Gene feels like he made like another chance would be beneficial. Jennifer's like, fuck no, like he killed my family. Fortunately, what I had said before about that discretionary life sentence because of the unborn child, because that wasn't a mandatory life sentence, that that was a sentence that the judge at that time had given him, his sentence stood up because he had that additional charge. Oh. Isn't that wild? Mm-hmm. And then the most recent update was they were worried that he was going to be amongst some of the prisoners freed because of the coronavirus. But he is still in jail, and there is no possibility for parole. And that's the story of David Bureau, Adam's friend Sandy's AP bio lab partner. No friend of mine. But he just, like, picked a house randomly. I think it was just, like, the proximity. The, I, it does. I do think it's extra spooky. When it's Crimes random. that are random. Yeah. And there's no cause because you're like, yeah, that freaked me out. Okay, I'm gonna do my story. Okay, can you see up my dress right now? I'm wearing shorts, so no, it's not a I big deal. I can't see under the desk. You can't. All right, so my story. Tell I'm just us. gonna fucking tell it. I got my information. Forty-eight hours episode. Wait, wait, we watched the same thing. Yeah. Wild. Well, it's great TV. Um, Wikipedia, Murderpedia, Edmonton Journal, and CBS. Girl, this is taking place in Canada, isn't it? Yes, it is. In Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. I know if it you well. must know. I know it well. So, just like last week, 2011 is the year. 2011 was a big year for Carrie. I don't recall what I was up to. Well, I just know because, again, when you graduate college. Oh, you know what? I think I had my first marriage in 2011. Hey, both of us had big life changes. Yeah, I think I got I got married in August of uh, I want to say 2011. You know, it's funny actually. We when we were home in Colorado, my parents have wine glasses, which was my uh, wedding favorite. My first wedding, oh, and it nice. has me and my first husband's name on them, mm. and like a little seashell. And they kept those wine glasses so it's very funny when Matt and I go to visit because we drink wine out of wine glasses <laughs> that are favors from my first wedding <laughs> and have me and Wait. some other guy's name on them I actually love that they should get rid of those I mean they work they're well functional wine glasses. for the record if a wine glass doesn't work like there's no point you know it's not yeah. like I, I mean, just think uh it's nice that they use them I guess what I'm trying to say is they use them where it's not like they're just like Having it in no, the back. No, they're not on a display case. That would be even better, though. That would be even really, that would be really funny. Okay, sorry. So, John Brian Altinger, who was known to his friends as Johnny, is a 38-year-old man who, he worked as um, an oil field equipment manager. 
That sounds boring. He worked the night shift in quality control, checking parts. So, really, that does sound... That sounds incredibly boring. Yeah. Um, But he was, like, a quiet, sweet guy, really giving. He had a tidy little bachelor pad. He was into paintball. He was into motorcycles. So, even though he's kind of quiet and shy, he's got, like, a little bit of edge, you know. Yeah, he's like a man's man. Yeah, and he actually owned two motorcycles, so he, like, wasn't just into, like, reading Zen and what is that book everyone cares about? Yes, the Zen... uh, Motorcycle Diaries, Dear Diary. It's it's the Zen... Are you there, God? It's me, a motorcycle. It's the Zen Diary of the Motorcycle Pants is what it is. That's what it is. Or Um, Zen (laughs) Sisterhood of the Motorcycle Pants. I'm sorry I misspoke. (laughs) His bikes are super important to him. He, like carefully covers them when he's not using them he has friends like babysit them if he's going to be somewhere like out of town wild he's looking for love in in, all the wrong places well really in like two places plentyoffish.com and lava life those are his two online look for love plenty of fish i know but lava life what is the remember those ads uh i know who did you know my friend marcus did the ads for them that were on the subway friend marcus mikey's marcus Mikey and Marcus? I don't know. I don't know. Either way, but what they're is... They're more vigs. Um, they're more vigs, but, like, what is the lava life? What is the premise of that? Plenty of fish premise? is Christ- Well, Plenty of Fish is Christian. Or I don't fucking know. Okay. I was just wondering, because, like, what's the... Like, Bumble is girls as first. Like, farmers only. Farm, farmers only. Um, you know what I mean? Like, they always have an angle, but... Lava life. What would it be? People that love lava lamps. I mean, that was my first thought, but... Okay, moving on. So he has Plenty of Fish, Lava Life. Great. He's on Plenty of Fish and Lava Life. Deborah meets him on Plenty of Fish in 2006. She had just graduated. She's a registered nurse. They go get coffee together, and it's just great. They are chatty and have fun, but um, she pretty quick is like, this is so fun. Let's keep hanging out. By the way, you're in the friend zone. He's like, all right, I'll keep hanging. Um, Like, he's just so nice to her. Like, her mom dies, and he, like goes and drives across town to, like, comfort her and be with her. He, like, makes her homemade pies. He's nice. But he's nice also for a reason, like all men, where he does try to, like, rekindle it with her at one point. She's like, nope, I'm serious. You're totally in the friend zone. Right. I think that kind of hurts his feelings. So they, they do, like, stop talking. But then on October 13th in 2008, Debbie gets an email saying that he met a young woman whose name was Jen, that, like, whisked him away on this impromptu trip to Costa Rica. And that's a little weird that he's emailing her this. He emailed more than her, obviously. He emailed a lot of people this. Some of his friends are aware of a little more of the context of who this Jen person might be because a few days prior to that, he was going on a date with someone named Jen. Sleuths. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. well, they have a little more context. Let me be clear. Okay, they get an email. He went on a di- he went on a date with someone he didn't know three days prior. Yeah. No, it's no. And this is going crazy. To Costa Rica is... with them. Yeah. He told a friend on the tenth, "I'm going to go meet this woman that I've been chatting with on Plenty of Fish. Her name's Jen." But there's other things. Okay, besides just rushing to Costa Rica three days later, there's other things that are kind of weird about the email to Debbie, who, remember, they were like friends. They hung out. And it doesn't read like it's him. Right. Like, it's just not 
in his tone. He is jokey and the email is like pretty straightforward and he would always call her sunshine and that's not in the email. Yeah. So there's just, she's like, oh, maybe he's being cold because I friend him, friend him for the 40th time. <laughs> Either way, she's like a little weirded by the email and she's not even the closest person that gets this email. Right. Other people are getting it. They're also weirded. And then a few days later, Johnny posts a status update on MSN Messenger that says, I've got a one-way ticket to heaven and I'm not coming back. That's weird. You could take that any number of ways. Um, He's missing work. They get a letter of resignation. But in the letter of resignation, he doesn't, like, specify where to send his last pay check or anything. He's just like, I'm not coming back. So that is weird, but it's work. So they probably don't care. Sorry. Sorry, Johnny's work. Maybe you do care. No offense. His buddy, Dale Smith was supposed to go motorcycling with him on the 12th, which is like two days after the date. Right. And he had talked to Johnny right before Johnny went on the date and was like, this date sounds weird. Why did it sound weird? Her instructions on where to meet her. Oh, God were weird. It wasn't an address. It was like, go to this weird alley and there's a garage. Go to the garage. Is this what I'm going to do when I'm so single and I'm just going to be like, you're yeah, not going to go to the garage. Undisclosed location. Sure. No, you're not. <laughs> Take four paces down the alley to the garage. Like, wow. Make sure you're blindfolded. Make sure you're blindfolded and call like a bird when you're on your way. <laughs> So we know you're safe. (laughs) There will be handcuffs at the edge of the driveway. Put them on. No. But they are weird. And Dale's like, oh. And he, like, asks him where you're going. And Johnny shows him. Dale's like, um, will you do me a favor and just, like, text me when you get there? You know? Yeah, like a good friend. Um, He's like, yeah, just let me know what the address actually ends up being. And Johnny does call Dale from the garage and is like, so weird. Um, I just had the weirdest interaction. Jen's not here, but there was, like, this guy that said he was a filmmaker and showed me props for a film that he's making. And there was, like, a fake handgun he had for the film. And whatever. It was weird. She's not here. Dale's like, oh, probably relieved. She's probably like, it's for the best. Go home. Then later that night, he gets another message from him, this time via email. Johnny emails Dale and is like, oh, by the way, (laughs) LOL, like, I'm making this up what he said but he's like she is home now jen she just wasn't home before it was a misunderstanding i'm gonna go back i'm gonna go meet her now this is strange so he supposedly went on a date with jen fell in love with her and went to costa rica but one thing that his friends noticed that's a little weird about that story is that his motorcycle is uncovered he never would have left it uncovered if he was going on a trip yes his friends are like trying to get the cops to care and are, I don't think they're successful so they break into Johnny's apartment themselves. Wow. And there's like dishes in the sink. His passport is there and He's it just doesn't dead. look like he like packed anything, you know? Is he dead? So I'm not telling. I know. But I mean I will dead. tell but not currently. He's dead. I'll tell it how I want to tell it. He's dead. They tell the cops this is crazy. This is what we found. And the cops are finally like, okay, we're going to do a homicide investigation. So they follow 
these same weird instructions that remember Dale still has to the garage. Right. And they realize that it's owned by this 31 year old uh, Mark Twitchell, who's like an aspiring filmmaker. In September of 2008, Mark shot this little horror film called House of Cards at the garage that he's renting. He also makes some comments to the cops right away where he's like, oh, one thing that's a little weird is this lock I never put on the garage, but I noticed it. Like, it appeared. So the police are like, oh, maybe someone besides this guy had access to it. That is, like, fishy. And they check the garage out, but the garage is weird. Like... There's blood everywhere. Not like everywhere, but there's blood. And Mark's like, yeah, I just told you I shot this horror movie here, House of Cards. It's like there is fake blood everywhere. There's That's also why he says the windows and doors have like taped garbage bags over so you can't see in. Taped stuff over them and stuff. Mm-hmm. But he's a filmmaker. He was shooting in there. He And he has like a really good family. He has no history of breaking any laws. He has a kid he has a wife so it just doesn't it doesn't i think they don't know what to make of him really okay um he's like a big star wars fan he worked on a fan film called secrets of the rebellion in 2006 he later two years later starts shooting house of cards if you want to know a little bit about what house of cards is about his horror movie Mm -hmm. which he wrote it's about um a killer that wears a hockey mask and he lures men to his garage to kill them. And the way he does that is he makes a fake dating profile. This sounds familiar. Have I seen this movie? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This feels feels a little too on the fucking nose. So the cops are like, "Um, do you think that's weird that that's what your movie's about? And Mark's like, yeah, it's so weird. And I see why you'd bring it up. That is weird. Um, And they're like you know, can we go back to the garage again? And Mark's like, no problem. And then at some point he's like, oh, and I forgot to mention, I also recently bought a car. It's a red car and it ends up that it's Johnny's car. This guy's and he's like, like really not But I parked good. it at a friend's house. And they're like, "What? wait, what? And then they're like, okay, we need to do a second interview. So they bring him in again. And he tells this story where he's like, well, I did meet this guy who was on his way to Costa Rica with this woman, this rich woman that he had met. And he was really excited about it and wasn't going to need a car because she was going to buy him a car. So he just wanted to get rid of his darn car. So he sold it to me. Ready for $40. What? That's what the cop said. Exactly what you just said, I think. I think the cop literally says, what? <laughs> like, the cop's this like... This guy was his fucking prized possession. It, no, the car wasn't. Well, the motorcycles were. But, but it, you $40? don't sell a car for $40. That's not a thing. Also, Mark, I don't know why you had to make it $40. If you're making this up, you probably could have made up something just a little more plausible. Wow. You call yourself a film writer. So in this second interview is when they really find out about the car, which is what makes Mark much more suspect than all the things they already found out in the first interview. I think he was so eager to seem so eager to help them in the first interview. They were a little like discounting him. 
Right. Because he was so, like, cooperative, sort of, and forthcoming, it felt like. But yeah, then it was like he had nothing thing, to hide. Yeah, and then when the car thing came up, they were like... There's something Okay, else. now... No. So they're like, okay, what did the guy that sold it to you look like? And Mark's like, oh, he was medium build. He had, like, a Celtic knot tattoo on his neck. He's just... He's describing Johnny. Then he weirdly says... Oh, and the guy was also named Mark, just like me. No, he wasn't, silly but he goose. Wasn't. So they confiscate Mark's car, not Johnny's car, Mark's what? car, which has vanity plates. Do you want to hear what they say? Yeah. D-R-K space J-E-D-I. Dark Jedi. That's right. I mean, cool, Mark. Cool. On October 23rd, Mark then sends a pretty cuckoo email to his friends and anybody that like worked on House of Cards with him essentially. He's like, oh, don't talk to the police. They're asking all these weird questions. They're trying to make a thing out of nothing. Just if they try to talk to you, don't talk to them. But at this point, it's actually a little too late because I think the police have already talked to one of the actors that played a victim on House of Cards. And he talks about showing up on set and how fucking weird the vibe was and that he was going to get stabbed to death. And he was uh, told there was going to be a dummy and no real weapons. And then he shows up and there's totally like weird weapons and no dummy. And he was really nervous. Obviously, he's fine. But then the cops bring up with him. They're like... Oh, and then all the blood splatter from the shoot. And he's like, no, we didn't do that. So remember there was blood that Mark Holy was like. shit. That's prop blood. It was real blood. So then they're like, what? So then they go talk to Mark's wife. And it turns out, you know, he probably painted a picture of, I'm a normal, nice family guy. I have a wife, I have a child. They do live together still, but they're living in separate rooms He's been having an affair. He's been lying to her about having a job. He's been, like, pretending to go to work. Um, So I don't know how much of that she knows, but they're already, the marriage is not in good shape, and he's in financial trouble because he's asking people to give him money to invest in this film business, but he's really just using the money to, like, live off of. Then they find a woman he had an online flirty flirty with, and the reason they had an online flirty is that they're both obsessed with. Dexter. Do you know the show Dexter? Of course I know the show Dexter. It's what? a great show. Michael it's C. Hall is so, so good. So good in it. And it's so just fun. Good. Like it's it's like actually a really fun, it's fun show. Yeah. Anyway, this woman's marriage has fallen apart too. And during all their flirting, she tells the cop, she's like, look, I'm going to be super forthcoming. My hubby got a new dame and I was essentially uh, joking with Mark about how I wish she would die or, like, get killed, but how would you get away with it? She says it's just fantasy talk, but Mark was like, oh, you would have to cut up the body into little pieces, just like Dexter. You would have to rent a boat and go out on Lake Erie, and you'd have to throw the body over. So he answers her, I mean... Could he be joking too? Well, also or, like they're fans of Dexter. It's like, yeah, they just he just basically laid out what he's Dexter like. Do what did. Dexter does. Yeah. Duh. But okay, but that's not what he does. That's weird. In mid October, he writes her an email that says that he did something and he really crossed a line and he liked it. And they say to her like, "What would that mean to you?" And she's like, "Cross a line? I don't know what it would mean except that he killed someone." Honestly, so she's kind of like 
keeps flirting with him and trying to get him to tell her. Yeah. The police arrest him on Halloween. Ooh. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. 2008. He's at his parents' house, like, making his costume. Like, he's into stuff like that. So, but, oh, I remember how they get him out of the house to arrest him, though. They call him and say that they're potential film investors and they want to meet him. Oh, And he leaves the house and they arrest him. He's so thirsty for the film. Yes. And the detective on 48 Hours was, like, really smiley about this. He's like, and he peed his pants. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, okay. (laughs) Wow, dark. Remember when they take his car? Dark Jedi car? Dark Jedi car, yeah. Um, He was like, oh, can I get some stuff out of there? And they were like, no. And they find a bunch of shit. So that makes him look guilty beyond a way reasonable doubt. They find... (sighs) A knife in his car. Oh, shit. With blood on the sheath and the knife. They find a piece of Johnny's tooth. That's actually in his garage. Wait a minute. <laughs> There's, like, no backing out now. No. And they, like, shine a black light. Or one of those, like, yeah, show blood hotel. Semen. Yeah, come lights. Blood semen. <laughs> uh, and they, there's, like, been blood all over that he has cleaned up in addition to the blood splatter that they that he left and that they had seen. And there's a blood mark in Mark's trunk. They find a hockey mask. Okay. And the hockey mask is black with gold on it, which reminds them of the hockey mask that maybe was used in House of Cards but now they're, like, questioning everything. I also just wonder, like, could it get any more Canadian? Like, a hockey mask that... <laughs> oh, that's so true. <laughs> they find a maple leaf. <gasps> no, they no. don't. Um, so, the most psychotic thing that they find is they find his laptop. Okay. And... He had known they were going to find the laptop, I'm, like, obviously. afraid they're going to, like, he filmed it. He I'm was, like, like uh, as soon as they took the car, he was, like, ooh, can I can I clean my car out? And they're, like, that's not how this works. Um, I love the attempt, though. Like, also, with the police, police interview. Like, sure. I love that if the police interviewed you, isn't your first thing to do is, like, all right, cleanup time. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, like he if, had time and didn't. He had You're time. right. Because in between the first and second interview, there was time. Well, so... They get his laptop and they find out there's some files that have been erased. And among them is this file called SK Confessions. Serial killer confessions is crazy. Serial killer. So it starts, this story is based on true events. The names and events were altered slightly to protect the guilty. This is the story of my progression into becoming a serial killer. So that's how it starts. And they're like, what? What in the actual fuck? What is going on? Like, we found it. I guess we found the confession. Well, and then it goes to explain his planning. Oh, my God. And it talks about the actual murder. Does it talk about, like, having that um, Plenty of Fish account? I mean, it talks about, I think, having the dating profile. I don't know if it specifies. But, okay, it presents an account of his planning. His failed first attempt (gasps) and successful second at getting a man to come into his garage and kill him and using a fake online profile. Like, all of it's in there. And it talks about killing him. When it talks about killing Johnny, it says, I thrust the knife into his gut. His reaction, pure Hollywood. (gasps) 
Ew. How much you fucking hate him. What a monster, what right? What a monster. And just so, like, into himself. And then he talks about dismembering the body and trying to dispose of the remains. It, like, word for word describes what he did. Okay, one passage talks about how he tried to burn Johnny's remains in a barrel. And the police do find a burned barrel inside Twitchell's garage. And Jesus he Christ. describes how he sets up the garage like a Dexter kill room. With and they the found trash stuff bags like that. Because it. Yeah. So it's it's all like it's lining up with what they know that it's real. Right. And the creepiest thing about it is that it talks about how there is a failed first attempt and successful second. So when he's talking about I tried to do this before and it didn't work. The person got away it feels like that must be real right. because the rest feels like it's real. Yeah, for so sure. So they're like, so somebody else got away. What the fuck happened? So they take a picture of the hockey mask and make that public because if someone was attacked by someone in a black and gold hockey mask. They might remember. They might remember. Um, <laughs> one would hope they would remember. <laughs> On October 3rd, 2008, a week before Johnny went missing, Jill Tetralt meets a woman named Sheena on Plenty of Fish. He also receives the super weird instructions that we know or that are like, go to the back of the garage. He decides to go meet Sheena, but he doesn't tell anybody. Mm. I think like when you're a guy, maybe you think you don't have to. Let this be a lesson. Totally. So there's like a dark garage he comes up to and goes into and then he hears someone behind him and it's a fucking man wearing a black and gold hockey mask that hits him with some sort of baton. (gasps) And the baton, what he doesn't realize at the time, it's like electric. It's like a stun baton. So it zaps him and he orders him to lay down on the floor and he puts um, duct tape over his eyes. And so... He's totally flipping out, Jill is, but he's also, like, lying there and he's like, wait a minute, I'm not just going to do what this guy tells me to do or I'm dead. So he fucking rips the tape off his eyes and starts trying to fight. He realizes the guy has a gun and grabs it and it's plastic. So it really was a prop prop gun. gun that he's using. And he tries to punch the guy, but he's, like, weird, like... It's like he's moving through water or something. Yeah. Like he's really weak. He hasn't figured out that he got zapped by that electric baton. And that's like. Right. You know, I guess if you still have those electric shivers shooting through your body, you're not going to be like tip top able to fight. So he's weird and weak kind of. How did he get out? Well, so he rolls under. The garage is still open a little. And he starts to roll under it. And the guy grabs him <gasps> like he's like yes, grabs his no, legs no. and pulls him back in. It's so scary. I mean, so scary. So he's able somehow to get away again. And he just he somehow summons the strength because his legs feel super fucking wobbly. But he like runs. He sees a couple nearby when he turns out of the driveway and they're on a walk and he's like, help. I'm getting robbed is what he says, which is kind of a weird choice. Like, I'd be like, someone's trying to kill me. He's like, I'm getting robbed. 
But then the guy in the hockey mask appears like from behind the fence and is like, oh, come on, Frank. Like <gasps> acting like they're together, acting like they're friends. So the couple gets really freaked out where they think they're Whoa. they think they're like about to get tag team attacked. You know, like these are two guys that are about to rob us, maybe. No. So they're like, we're not going to help you. Bye. So they actually, they beat it, but it's okay because Jill is able to get to his car and get in and beat it himself. Why doesn't and he report it? He, so this is what happens. He goes home. He looks up Sheena, realizes the profile's been deleted. And he says that he was so embarrassed that he was tricked and that he... Like, this whole crazy... He just feels like an idiot, I guess. And he kept convincing himself that what had just happened was somebody tried to rob him. You know? Jesus Christ. He's like, somebody just beat me up and tried to rob me. Jesus Christ. So he doesn't tell anybody. And it's a week later that Johnny... Dies. Goes to meet Jen. He sees the mask on the news on November 3rd. And he's like... Oh, shit. So he comes forward. Then there's a three-week trial. They're like, all right, you love Star Wars. You love Dexter. You love Dexter too much, maybe. You posed as him on Facebook. Like, he had an account that was like, I'm Dexter Morgan. He actually ends up admitting in trial that he killed Johnny and that he wrote the SK confessions, obviously, but he says that he acted in self-defense. That's where it's different from what's in the confessions. He's like, no, no, but what's different is that I did pose to be that woman. Johnny came, saw there was no woman, got mad and attacked me. So I attacked him back by hitting him with a pipe. And he says that it's the document SK confessions is fictionalized. It's, it's based on like this happening to me and I did kill him. But really, it was self-defense. Jesus Christ. It's so such a nasty document, the stuff that he writes about the murder. It's so gruesome that the judge is like, it's too inflammatory. We're not even going to actually present it to the jury. Well, and because it's there's no proof, there's no way to actually like be like, this actually happened because there's no evidence of Johnny's body. So they can't use that. They maybe could use it for like the guy who got away to corroborate his story. But yeah. like... And wow. I I think he withheld where the body was for some time, but they knew that it was in um a sewer because of the uh, SK confessions. Yeah, because of SK confessions. So they were looking in sewers, looking in sewers, didn't find it. He does Mark does finally tell them where it is or points it out on a map, and they were half the body was half a block away from where the police stopped searching for it. And they had searched for like two years, I think. No. Yeah, but they found him. Okay. Now Mark Twitchell is serving a life sentence with no chance of parole. Canada, baby. Maybe they got something right there. They they got a lot of things right up there, but... But it says... Here's what's weird. All right. He's serving a life sentence with no chance of parole for 25 years. Maybe because their maximum life sentence is technically 25 years. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is that a thing? Mm-hmm. I guess I don't really get how that works, but I'm we'll like... Take back life. what I said. That's a short life. He sent an appeal in 2011, and in it, he's like blames the media for how they portrayed him for the g- guilty verdict. And Jesus. He then he abandoned the appeal in 2012. So I, I think, think he had no lawyers to be like, you have no fucking case, dude. I think even he was like, 
you know what? I probably deserve to be here. I don't want to give him that credit, but he does abandon the appeal. That's an insane story. It's so crazy that it feels like your story in the sense that it was, again... Trying to be a perfect murder. Like, it was like... It, it's like, I don't know. It's like the power of it all. It's and like, I'm also like, if you were so obsessed with Dexter... Kill people that, what he says, deserves to be killed. Remember that Dexter killed bad guys. Dexter killed very bad guys. Like, what were you going to put up on the wall for Johnny to look at before you killed him? Nothing. Because you, A, didn't know anything about him. You were just fishing for anyone to come. Using plenty of fish. Fishing using plenty of fish. Correct. Jesus. I... Mark Twitchell, go to fucking hell, man. Yeah, total skis bag dirtball. And it's like you can watch interviews with the actors he worked with being like, that guy was insane. He was not talented. That's what I also think kind of happened there is that he really wanted to be a famous filmmaker. And it wasn't working out for him. It reminds me of Luca Magnata a little, like wanted to be famous. Who's that? Oh, never, ever read about it. It's the most upsetting thing in the world okay maybe i'll do it one day do it one day okay um but it's the idea that i think he wanted to be famous so badly and he was failing 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 and he wanted to be different and he wanted to stand out so he was like i it's like when they say those who can't do teach when they say that i hate that saying but yeah it was like maybe it's like those who can't direct kill it's just like he couldn't. Well, he wanted to be infamous, and the and he could he couldn't figure out his way in. So he went like full tilt, fucking turned the fucking dial up to twenty, and he method really went for it's like, it. What if I really kill someone? Will I be any better? I at just anything? don't understand. Like I, 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 that to me is like a psyche. I I I cannot fucking comprehend. Like I have, I just don't get it. I don't understand. I get don't fucking get it yeah i mean i i think some of these cases when it feels like somebody's doing something to someone for personal reasons it's just much easier to wrap your head around it than the two cases we just presented in this episode where it's right feels like it's no i just wanted to kill i just wanted to see what it would be like to kill and it's so brings the person to a different place of ego than a a normal person should ever be able to get to where you really are like, I'm just better. It's not I'm mad. It's just a power. It's it's like I can. So I will. Or I want to see if I can. Uh, also, like, the risk-reward ratio is so bad on that. It's so bad. Like, what is the fucking point? Like, to try to kill... Like, what is the fucking point? Anyway, that's the story of Mark Twitchell, who's also known as the Dexter killer. Which is unfortunate for Dexter, because I don't think Dexter deserves that association yeah i would agree also it it wasn't dexter he didn't use a boat and he wasn't cute about it there was no fun breakfast montage at the top (gasps) which i love that breakfast i forgot about that until you it's really good with the hot sauce is the blood so good lacing up the boots oh man that's a really good opening he was hot michael c he probably still hot i haven't seen him in a minute but he's hot yeah, I bet he's still hot. We should check it out. You know that he was married to Deb. To his sister. How weird is that? 
And then they divorced, and then they were still acting Doing together. Doing show. Which, that's a lot. Yeah, I guess don't marry your scene partner. Unless they're also very hot. <laughs> yeah, unless they're Michael C. Hall. Then I guess fucking marry them, whatever. What have you got Bring to lose? Bring it up, you know? I mean, do your thing. Yeah, do, do your thing. thing. Do your thing. All right, do we gotta go. Do what you wanna do. I love you guys. I have a burp that's been lodged in my, <laughs> I don't know what body part. Esophagus? When yep. pe- hey, if you're not already a Patreon subscriber, what are you doing here? Join it. It's only 5 or $7 a month. Hell, you can even do $1 a month. Just join. Don't be a dum-dum. Be a fun-fun. <laughs> <laughs> <Thank you. laughs>